Solitaire Rose Novelcast, After the Fall, Book 2, Graceland, Part 1. kids it's uh, time for a new novel yes we have finished three novels we're about to start novel number four which is the second in the after the fall series after the fall is a zombie novel series that i've uh, been writing for i don't want to say how long i i refuse to do the math i've been doing it for a while there are uh, five novels so far in the series this is novel number two it is called graceland um, the characters are from the first novel. If you would, if if you're just joining, in the show notes there is a link to the first novel, which was the first novel cast that I did, and people enjoyed it. So we're coming back for the second novel. As I said before, this is going to be coming out every two weeks. Uh, it starts this week. Usually it'll be on a Friday. This week it's on a Saturday due to my work schedule, but still it came out on time. Kinda. Okay. It's uh, it's the first part, so whenever it starts is, is on time, right? Right? Anyway, for those of you who are just joining Novelcast, this is where I, Corey Strode, take the novels that I've written and turn them into audiobooks. Um, one of the things that denotes a change of scene, you know, when you're reading a book and you get the three dots or the big gap that shows that, you know, you're moving from one scene to another, this sound is what determines that. It's also how I will go into the novel and come out of the novel. And without any further ado, we begin After the Fall, Part 2, Graceland. Graceland, Chapter 1. Ray woke suddenly to the sounds of people yelling. He was confused, disoriented, and inside his tent. All he could see were the shadows of people running outside. The shadows flashed across the tent, illuminated by the flames. One of them was holding torches as they ran by. He couldn't make out individual voices, just the sound of orders being given. When he heard gunfire, he finally snapped himself awake. He grabbed his rifle and crawled out of the tent staying on his belly in case there was gunfire coming in his direction. Army training kicked in, and he made himself as small a target as he could. He looked around as he got out of his tent, saw people running through the camp. To him, it seemed as if they were running toward the gunfire. At that point, he got up and joined the running people, hoping he could figure out what was going on before he was in its range. As he ran toward the noise, other people were running away mostly children and mothers, but some of the older people were running away as well, helping the children get away from the sounds. As he got to the other side of the camp, he could finally see enough to figure out what was going on. About 25 to 30 people were forming a line, firing into the woods. He made it up to the line and was finally able to see what they were shooting at. Zombies. The Walking Dead. They were coming out of the woods, slowly, shambling toward the line, not caring about the gunfire driven forward by some need to feed, driven forward by the need to feed on the living, driven forward 
by the need to feed on humans. Ray leveled his rifle and turned on the laser sight. While the others were simply emptying their guns into the approaching mass, Ray took his time and aimed directly for the center of the forehead of the nearest one and squeezed the trigger. The bullet hit the mark, causing the head to pop and spraying dark fluid as the body fell to the ground, lifeless once more. Ray shouted, Aim for the head! Save your ammo and just aim for the head! He didn't look to see if anyone was taking his advice as he aimed and dropped another of the oncoming zombies. He fired quickly, deliberately, mechanically, aiming, squeezing, checking, and moving on. The crowd of the oncoming zombies seemed to thin, and as he dropped one that was less than 20 yards away, he heard a scream on his left. He looked. One of the zombies had come through the dark and had grabbed one of the people, shooting. God damn it, keep shooting, Ray yelled as he dropped his rifle and ran toward the screaming man. He made sure he was behind the line of fire as he ran. The sound of gunfire was ringing in his ears, and the flickering light of the fires behind him made it hard to see. When he got to the man, he was on the ground with the zombie over him. The man had his gun blocking the zombie's mouth, holding it off as he fought to get away from it. The zombie itself was hard to see, but Ray could see it was wearing a jacket over some kind of t-shirt and big baggy pants. Ray grabbed the jacket and pulled, trying to get the zombie to give up its grip, but it was strong and didn't move. The man on the ground was screaming, Get it off me! and using all his strength to keep the rifle in the zombie's mouth. He gripped each side of the gun and used it like a horse bridle to keep the zombie's mouth away from him, but his strength was giving out. The zombie was shaking its head back and forth, ramming down on the metal gun barrel, trying to get the man to give up his grip, and Ray could tell that it wouldn't last long. He gave up trying to pull the zombie off and took a step back. Help me, the man screamed, watching Ray take a couple of steps away from the scene, but Ray ignored him. Ray then ran at the two of them, getting enough momentum that when he slammed into the zombie, he was able to knock it off the prone man. It rolled a couple of feet away, and the gun that the man was holding slipped from his grip and was laying on the ground. Ray, reacting with practiced reflexes, grabbed the rifle and aimed. The zombie started to get up, its body making horrible cracking sounds as it did. The sounds made Ray feel nauseous. Ray shook it off and aimed, pulled the trigger, and heard a loud click. It jammed, the man who was still on the ground yelled. That's how it got to me. Ray cursed under his breath and grabbed the barrel of the rifle to use as a club. The zombie was close, and Ray swung, hitting the zombie in the head, but the force of the blow sent them both to the ground. The zombie had landed within grasping distance of Ray and grabbed his arm. Ray used the rifle again, smashing the zombie in the head. The zombie loosened its grip, and Ray rolled away, leaving the rifle there on the ground. As it scrambled to try and get back on its feet, Ray did a kip-up, leaping to his feet, getting further away from the clawing thing. He grabbed a pistol from his ankle holster, but by the time he was ready to fire, the zombie had gotten close enough to grab at him again, this time grabbing at his pants leg. Ray kicked it away with a look of disgust, and then quickly stepped over to where the thing had been on the ground. It rolled over and started to get up again, but Ray was there, standing. He put a booted foot on the thing's chest. As it struggled to try and grab his foot, Ray carefully aimed and fired a single shot right into the zombie's forehead, stopping it. Finally able to pay attention to what was going on around him, he realized that the other gunfire had stopped. The campfire and a few torches dimly illuminated the area, and Ray scanned the perimeter. He saw that there was no more movement from the woods, and he turned his attention to the man who was laying on the ground. In the darkness, Ray could tell two things. 
first, the man was no more than just a kid. And two, that his head was covered with a dark fluid. Ray aimed his gun at the young man and said, Did it bite you? The kid looked confused, then put a hand on his forehead. He pulled it away slowly, realizing it was slick with blood. His eyes widened in terror as Ray said again, this time more forcefully, Did it bite you? He paused and then yelled, Answer me, goddammit, or I'll shoot you right here. No, the kid screamed. No, it, it, I don't, it didn't, I don't know. It didn't bite me, but the kid was in shock, his whole body trembling. And Ray kept his gun out as he went over to him. He kept the gun aimed squarely at the kid's head and said, Put your hands behind your back and don't move or I'll blow you away. One of the others who'd been there shooting the zombies called over, What's going on? Stay back, Ray yelled. He's covered in blood. He might have gotten bit. I was a bit. I swear to God, I was a bit. I had I had my gun in its mouth, the kid said, starting to cry. Wrong way to put a gun in a zombie's mouth, Ray said, voice dripping with sarcasm. Going to examine you for open wounds. Pray you don't have any. The kid didn't move as Ray ran his hands over the kid's head. The clothing he was wearing wasn't torn, so if there was an open wound, it would have to be either the head or the hands. He did a check of the head. It had a lot of blood on it, but there were no open wounds. The hands were then checked, and again, they were slick with blood, but no wounds that he could detect. Somebody get me a torch over here, Ray yelled. One of the other men who'd been shooting ran over quickly. Ray grabbed the torch from him and checked the kid over one more time. It was hard to tell with all the blood, but the kid couldn't have been more than 16, and his sandy blonde hair was completely blood red red, not black, Ray thought. The zombie's blood turned black after a few months. Side effect of not needing it to move oxygen around the body anymore, or so when the scientists in the army had told him. He talked to them a lot when he had overnight guard duty in the labs, and he asked a lot of questions of the scientists so that he would know what kind of enemy he was facing. The man who brought him the torch said, what is it? Can't find any wounds on this kid, Ray said. I'm Tommy, the kid said in a state of shock. On Tommy, Ray corrected himself. So this blood either came from someone else on the line or from the zombie. Ray looked at where everyone was, gathering up the fallen zombies and putting them on a big pile. They were getting ready to burn them, the only way to really dispose of bodies anymore. There wasn't anyone near him when I got here, so I'm going to assume that the blood came from the zombie. If that's so, that means this one is fresh newly turned within the last couple of months. Tell the rest of the group to hold off on disposal until morning so we can check them out. We're only about a day's walk from Memphis. Could be that there are still people there. Or, these are the last ones who were there, the man who brought him the torch said. That could be too, but this person died wearing a jacket. And if they turned a few months ago, that would make it summer. Not many people wear a jacket in the summer. Ray paused and then thought about it a minute. But when people are bit, one of the last things they feel is cold. This person might have gotten bit and died slowly, which means there wasn't a lot of them around. The man smiled and said, Did you used to be some sort of crime scene investigator before all of this? Ray smiled back. Nope, regular army. Had a lot of downtime, so I read a lot of mysteries. Learned to start putting things together in my head. Get the kid, he paused. Tommy, right? The kid nodded. Get Tommy to someone who can give him a complete once-over. I want to make sure he hasn't been bitten. Did we make it through this one unscathed? 
Tommy here is okay. We stopped them before they got to anyone. But we haven't done a head count either. And they got awfully close before anyone sounded an alarm. I hope they didn't get any of the guys guarding the camp. Me too, Ray agreed. I'm going to go over and tell them to stop until we can check out the bodies in the morning. We're getting damn close to Memphis, and the more information we have, the better I'll feel about that. Elvis will provide, the man said, grabbing Tommy's hand and pulling him to his feet. That he will, my friend, Ray said, wondering yet again if it was a good idea to be involved in this pilgrimage to Graceland. Ricky was outside, working on the main converter in the, by flashlight, and silently cursing as he did so. He hadn't been paying attention to the battery levels in his house for the past few days, and because of that, he hadn't noticed that the levels had been dropping. He was talking with Annie, his computer, when the low battery alarm went off in the house. He'd shut down the computer, the lights, and everything except the refrigerator and freezer and went outside to see what was going on. The house he lived in was one of those energy self-sufficient homes that ran on solar power for heat and wind power for electricity, with huge batteries holding the power created by the wind in case they went days without it. He didn't quite understand how the solar panels worked, and his attempts at reading the instruction manual just made him more confused, so he'd given up a few years previously. He did read where all the equipment in the house was guaranteed for up to 25 years as long as regular maintenance was performed. So he read that part of all the instruction manuals and treated it as, as if it were his religion. However, with battery power low, he was outside in the middle of the night holding a rechargeable flashlight trying to figure out what had gone wrong with the generators. He checked all the maintenance he knew. Nothing was twisted. Everything had proper fluids. None of the belts or pulleys had broken. He had the instruction manual for the generator with him now, and he'd taken off his, the maintenance panel and was looking at the generator's interior. He would switch the flashlight beam from the manual to the generator itself, try to see what the manual was telling him to do. After three hours, he was so tired and frustrated that it took all his willpower not to just grab a hammer and start beating on the generator until it made some sort of noise. The chill of the late October air bit into his hands, and he could feel them starting to cramp up as he would use a screwdriver to take off another protection plate, check a hose or a connection, validate that it was where it was supposed to be, and then put it back on. As the first light of morning started streaming into the small building that the equipment was kept in, away from the house, Ricky at first was happy he wouldn't have to use the flashlight anymore and run down its batteries. Then the fact that he'd been up for over 30 hours hit him. He slumped against a wall, manual at his side. The house was set up to stay warm. He pretty much brought the electricity use down to where he could go a couple of days off the batteries, so he decided to call it a night. When he woke up, the afternoon was nearly over. The sun hung low in the sky, and if he had wanted to work with the best light, he'd overslept. Forgetting breakfast or lunch or whatever it would have been that time of day, he went to work on the generator again. For the final hours of light, he went through the troubleshooting guide, attempted to see what was wrong to the best of his knowledge. The sun set, and eventually he turned on the lights in the room, further draining the batteries that the house ran on. Hours later, his hands were cramping, his back was in great pain, and his stomach was growling. After almost an entire day in the generator room, trying to see what was wrong. When he finished the final, if that doesn't work, check this instruction in the manual. He stood up and looked out the window. It was dark, but the moonlight was strong enough that he could see the large white wind towers. The propellers were spinning rapidly, and he could see that the wind was strong enough to cause the leaves of the trees to come off with large gusts. So the problem was not that there was not enough wind. A sick feeling that had been threatening to take over all day washed over him. He slowly sank to the floor, 
finally ending up sitting where, with his head between his knees. Five years ago, the power went out. He'd spent a week getting out of the city. The dead were everywhere. He shuddered as, as, as he remembered his last frantic attempt to get out of the city, hiding so that he could get past the army, watching as they fired into a crowd, not knowing if it were zombies or people just trying to get out of Chicago. He'd just walked for months until he found this house. Amazed no one had moved in yet. Then he shuddered again as he remembered why. The infestation of dead he had had to clean up out of the basement. Not zombies, but dead bodies. An entire family that had killed themselves in the basement, even though they had everything they needed to survive in the house. Mostly, though, he thought about Annie. The computer he'd found with a functioning AI program that made it seem like the computer was alive. He had figured that the family that lived here was able to afford all this high-tech because someone was a computer programmer working on cutting-edge tech, but it didn't matter. With Annie, he wasn't alone anymore. The months of traveling alone didn't matter. He had someone to talk to, books to read, farm animals, and a huge garden set up so he wouldn't have to leave. Now he couldn't get the generator going. When he came out to check what was going on with it, there were only about two hours of battery power left. He stared at the door to the generator room, not knowing why things were so blurry until he realized that he was crying. The door was like the door to a self-imposed prison. He couldn't bring himself to get up and leave, because that would be admitting defeat, knowing that he wouldn't be able to get any more battery power to the house. Knowing that his only little paradise had two hours left. He wiped his eyes and struggled to his feet. He'd been sitting or kneeling on the floor for so long that his legs ached when he got up. His left leg had the sensation of a million dull needles inside trying to get out. It must have fallen asleep while he was sitting on the floor, and he rubbed it rapidly to try and get rid of the feeling of numbness that had made it hard to walk. He took one more look at the generator, praying something would happen, that it would magically start working, refilling the huge batteries that kept the house running. He went over to the reset switch and pushed it for what felt like the one millionth time. Felt it click, but nothing happened. He pushed it again. And again. Then he punched it, full force. Shooting pain went through his fist and up his arm. He looked at his bloodied fist and bit his lip. Damn, he sighed, making sure he didn't break a knuckle by flexing his fingers. They hurt, but there wasn't a sensation of stabbing pain. A little while later, back in the house, he turned on the regular power so that the water would flow and he could wash off his wound. He shut off most of the lights and other things, but made sure to turn the computer on. It was one of the most powerful personal computers available back when everything fell apart, but it still took a couple of minutes for everything to boot up since the AI program was so powerful. The computer was on a large, specially made desk in a room that looked out over the plains. Rick looked out the window and saw that the sky was clear and the moon was nearly full. The room was lit with a pair of small lamps, one on the desk and another one standing on the floor by the desk. Study had a number of bookshelves, mostly with books that Ricky had gathered from other homes in the area. There were other boxes there were other boxes of books out in the hallway, but the office looked immaculate. The desk was dark, polished wood, and the chair that Rick used was probably one of the most comfortable office chairs available, as the previous owner of the house had spent hours at the desk programming into the night. Most nights, Rick would stay in the office, leaning back in the chair, either talking with Annie or playing computer games. He did most of his reading downstairs in the living room, either on the large leather couch or in the powered recliner. He 
washed off his fist in the upstairs bathroom and wrapped it up with a bandage. He went to the upstairs fuse box and turned off the water pump to try to t save energy. He sat down at the computer. Everything had booted up. There was a message on the screen. Ricky, it read, you have turned off my vocal processor. I am reading very low battery power from the main generator. Is everything all right? No, Annie, it isn't, he typed. I see that things in the house have been turned off for a day. Yes, he typed. I was out in the generator building seeing if I could get the problem fixed and... He stopped typing. Talking to Annie this way made the program seem more human, as if it was a distant friend he was having an instant message chat with instead of this massive hard drive of a computer in this house. And you could not, the program finished for him. I ran a diagnostic on the generator when the system booted up, and it was clear that there was not much battery power. I didn't know you could do that, he typed. You did not ask. Ricky smiled at that and started to type again. Can you tell what is wrong with the generator? Yes, and I am afraid I have bad news for you. The housing for the main fan has cracked, causing the main fan mechanism to shatter internally. New parts will have to be found, and the generator will have to be rebuilt. You will have to call a professional repairman or buy a new unit, which is impossible if the situation is as dire as it seems. He sat at the keyboard, thinking, taking his time before typing. Quite dire. We haven't had anyone travel by the house in months, and the only contact I've made is on the radio to an army man who's met up with a bunch of people who are on a trek to Graceland of all places. I see, the screen slowly typed out so there will be no repairmen available, and the batteries will run out of power in two hours and twenty-one minutes at the current rate of depletion. I'm afraid so. You should turn off all non-essential devices. Diagnostics show that, that the solar panel system is still functional, so the house will remain heated and will be a suitable shelter. It will just not be as convenient. And you'll be gone. Incorrect, the screen showed. The computer will turn off. And as long as there is no damage to the hard drive, nothing for me will change. The most human way to describe it would be as if I were in a coma. I will not know about the passing of time, and, you will be and I will be able to be booted up as soon as you find a proper power source. What if there isn't one? As long as the computer's parts don't degrade, I can be turned on in up to the screen paused for a moment and then started again. Over 50 years, according to my internal information. Ricky sat and stared at the screen, unable to type. He knew that this should not be a big deal. It was just a computer program. It didn't have a soul, and it was just a simulated personality. But it was the only personality he'd really known for the past four years since he'd stopped traveling with the Marauders. There had been people coming through the place stopping for food and shelter but they were always on their way somewhere. Annie was the only one he'd talked to for any length of time for so long, he didn't even know if he could carry on a conversation with a real person. You have not typed anything for over two minutes. Are you all right? popped up on the screen. Yes, he typed. I'm just trying to sort through all of this in my mind. It's like we were saying goodbye. I see the screen flashback. Ricky knew that was one of the quirks of the program. Whenever he would relate anything emotional, it would take longer for Annie to reply, and she would say, I see, as if she were a therapist, getting him to talk longer. When he didn't, the screen flashed a new message. It's not really goodbye. You may find another generator. 
Before I lost contact with the outside network, there were replacement generators in these areas. And with that, a map of the region popped up on the screen with green indicators for where they were located. The nearest was over 150 miles away, and with the size of the equipment, it might as well have been in China. I understand, Ricky typed, but I don't know if it would be safe to go to a city. The people who've come by say that the cities are still unsafe. There are too many of those things. I don't know how I would get the equipment back here. There's no more gas, and I don't have anything big enough that horses could use to pull it here. It's a puzzle, Annie flashed, and I am unable to help with your planning, as I have very little knowledge of what the outside world is like since the Internet went away. Last reports were that things were dangerous and chaotic, and I do not think that the authorities have restored order. No, they haven't. Then, perhaps it is time. There is now less than two hours of power remaining. My program has become a powerful drag on the battery, despite my speech system being shut down. I don't want you to go, Ricky typed. I do not want to go, but if you were to figure out how to get new power to my system, I will still be here. I will miss our conversations. You are a very kind person, Ricky. It has been my pleasure to know you. You too, Ricky typed. I wish I could have met Grant and his family. They were nice people and you would have had many personality traits in common. Ricky smiled at that and then typed, I'm going to shut your system down now. It doesn't hurt, does it? No, Annie flashed in return. There is nothing involved in it other than my system's configuring for shutdown. I hope to talk to you soon. I'll miss you, Ricky typed, before hitting the button to start the shutdown procedure. He swiveled in his chair, turning away from the computer. And there we go. Part one of Graceland, an after-the-fall novel. Part two will be coming in two weeks. There are all sorts of other podcasts that are showing up here on the Solitaire Rose Network over at crazycomics.solitairerose.com. Not only do we have the every Monday Crazy Comics and Stories, a comic book-related podcast that I do with uh, my longtime friend and former comic book shop owner, Joe Ryder. We also have episodes of Solitaire Rose Radio, which are solo podcasts that I do, and every so often we do a new episode of Series in Review, where I, and sometimes a guest, sometimes not, go over older comics, giving them DVD-style commentary. Now, that's not the only podcast that I do, because if you go over to badadvice.solitairerose.com, myself and Wolfie B. Bad answer your questions about your problems hosted by dangerous dan moore it comes out every other friday so if you're looking for a podcast to listen to and it's not the week for novel cast it's the week for bad advice also over at scrabbling.solitairerose.com dave and stephanie kofel traveled the u.s playing music, enjoying the travels, and sitting down to play a game of Scrabble while discussing their day and other th- and pretty much anything that comes into their head. We got all kinds of podcasts, so we've got all kinds of ways to waste your time. Speaking of people who waste your time, here's our sponsors. That's right, here at the Solitaire Rose Radio Network, we have ads, and our first sponsor is me. That's right, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard. I have my first book out with Dangerous Dan Moore. It's the first hundred strips of our 
online web strip, Worldwide News, the story of the lowest-rated cable news network. And you can get yourself a copy with commentary, with all sorts of extras, with uh, signatures and everything. Just email Dan over at lordshadowflame at gmail.com. Our top sponsor, who's been with us since day one, is DreamHost. DreamHost.com. You need yourself a website, and DreamHost.com is the number one web host in the whole known universe. Just head over to DreamHost.com, put in the code CRAZY, K-R-A-Y-Z, get $20 off your first year. How can you beat that? Our other sponsor is Graze, G-R-A-Z-E.com. Healthy snacks for a healthy lifestyle. Just head over to Gray's, put in the code C-O-R-Y-S-3-R-5-P. Your first and fifth box are free. You can get them weekly. You can get them bi-weekly. You can get them monthly. You just order a whole bunch of them. It's great stuff to keep you away from the vending machine at work. Now, if you would like to leave a comment for any of the podcasts that we do, we'd love those. Go ahead and email us at solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com or you can call 952-856-0519. Operators are standing by. Okay, it's just a place that will record your calls, but we'll play them on the air. We'll answer your questions. We love getting feedback. Tell us what you think. Ask a question. Suggest a topic. Be a guest. Send us your stuff. Solitaire Rose Network at gmail.com. If you would like to advertise on any of the Solitaire Rose radio shows, you can. Just email us at Solitaire Rose Network at gmail.com. Subject advertising. Thanks. If you're looking to get a hold of Solitaire Rose Radio in any of its podcasts, you can. Just email me at solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com. If you're looking to buy advertising, just have the subject advertising. If you're sending in a comic or a book to review, just send it to that same email address with the, with the subject review. I want to thank you for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with part two of Graceland, an After the Fall novel.